Section 6 of Geronimo's Story of His Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. Geronimo's Story of His Life by Geronimo. Transcribed by S. M. Barrett and translated by Asa Deklugi. Section 6 part two of the white men chapter fourteen greatest of wrongs perhaps the greatest wrong ever done to the indians was the treatment received by our tribe from the united states troops about eighteen sixty three the chief of our tribe mangus colorado went to make a treaty of peace for our people with the white settlement at apache tejo new mexico it had been reported to us that the white men in this settlement were more friendly and more reliable than those in arizona that they would live up to their treaties and would not wrong the indians mangus colorado with three other warriors went to apache tejo and held a council with these citizens and soldiers they told him that if he would come with his tribe and live near them they would issue to him from the government blankets flour provisions, beef, and all manner of supplies. Our chief promised to return to Apache Tejo within two weeks. When he came back to our settlement, he assembled the whole tribe in council. I did not believe that the people at Apache Tejo would do as they said, and therefore I opposed the plan. But it was decided that, with part of the tribe, Mangus Colorado should return to Apache Tejo and receive an issue of rations and supplies if they were as represented and if these white men would keep the treaty faithfully the remainder of the tribe would join him and we would make our permanent home at apache tejo i was to remain in charge of that portion of the tribe which stayed in arizona we gave almost all of our arms and ammunition to the party going to apache tejo so that in case there should be treachery, they would be prepared for any surprise. Mangus Colorado and about half of our people went to New Mexico, happy that now they had found white men who would be kind to them and with whom they could live in peace and plenty. No word ever came to us from them. From other sources, however, we heard that they had been treacherously captured and slain. In this dilemma we did not know just exactly what to do, but fearing that the troops who had captured them would attack us, we retreated into the mountains near Apache Pass. During the weeks that followed the departure of our people, we had been in suspense, and failing to provide more supplies, had exhausted all of our store of provisions. This was another reason for moving camp. On this retreat, while passing through the mountains, we discovered four men with a herd of cattle. Two of the men were in front in a buggy, and two were behind on horseback. We killed all four, but did not scalp them. They were not warriors. We drove the cattle back into the mountains, made a camp, and began to kill the cattle and pack the meat. Before we had finished this work, we were surprised and attacked by United States troops, who killed in all seven Indians, one warrior, three women, and three children. The government troops were mounted, and so were we, but we were poorly armed, having given most of our weapons to the division of our tribe that had gone to Apache Tejo, 
so we fought mainly with spears, bows, and arrows. At first I had a spear, a bow, and a few arrows, but in a short time my spear and all my arrows were gone. Once I was surrounded, but by dodging from side to side of my horse as he ran, I escaped. It was necessary during this fight for many of the warriors to leave their horses and escape on foot. But my horse was trained to come at call, and as soon as I reached a safe place, if not too closely pursued, I would call him to me. During this fight we scattered in all directions, and two days later reassembled at our appointed place of rendezvous, about fifty miles from the scene of this battle. About ten days later, the same United States troops attacked our new camp at sunrise. The fight lasted all day, but our arrows and spears were all gone before ten o'clock, and for the remainder of the day we had only rocks and clubs with which to fight. We could do little damage with these weapons, and at night we moved our camp about four miles back into the mountains, where it would be hard for the cavalry to follow us. The next day our scouts, who had been left behind to observe the movements of the soldiers, returned, saying that the troops had gone back toward San Carlos Reservation. A few days after this we were again attacked by another company of United States troops. Just before this fight we had been joined by a band of Chaconan Indians under Cochise, who took command of both divisions. We were repulsed and decided to disband. After we had disbanded our tribe, the Bedonkahe Apaches reassembled near their old camp, vainly waiting for the return of Mangus Colorado and our kinsmen. No tidings came, save that they had all been treacherously slain. Then a council was held, and as it was believed that Mangus Colorado was dead, I was elected tribal chief. For a long time we had no trouble with anyone, it was more than a year after I had been made tribal chief that United States troops surprised and attacked our camp. They killed seven children, five women, and four warriors, captured all our supplies, blankets, horses, and clothing, and destroyed our teepees. We had nothing left. Winter was beginning, and it was the coldest winter I ever knew. After the soldiers withdrew, I took three warriors and trailed them. Their trail led back toward San Carlos. Chapter 15. Removals While returning from trailing the government troops, we saw two men, a Mexican and a white man, and shot them off their horses. With these two horses, we returned and moved our camp. My people were suffering much, and it was deemed advisable to go where we could get more provisions. Game was scarce in our range then, and since I had been tribal chief, I had not asked for rations from the government, nor did I care to do so, but we did not wish to starve. We had heard that Chief Victoria of the Chehene Ojo Caliente Apaches was holding a council with the white men near Hot Springs in New Mexico, and that he had plenty of provisions. We had always been on friendly terms with this tribe, and Victoria was especially kind to my people. With the help of the two horses we had captured to carry our sick with us, we went to Hot Springs. We easily found Victoria and his band, and they gave us supplies for the winter. We stayed with them for about a year, and during this stay we had perfect peace. 
we had not the least trouble with Mexicans, white men, or Indians. When we had stayed as long as we should, and had again accumulated some supplies, we decided to leave Victoria's band. When I told him that we were going to leave, he said that we should have a feast and dance before we separated. The festivities were held about two miles above Hot Springs, and lasted for four days. There were about four hundred Indians at this celebration. I do not think we ever spent a more pleasant time than upon this occasion. No one ever treated our tribe more kindly than Victoria and his band. We are still proud to say that he and his people were our friends. When I went to Apache Pass, Fort Bowie, I found General Howard in command and made a treaty with him. This treaty lasted until long after General Howard had left our country. He always kept his word with us and treated us as brothers. We never had so good a friend among the United States officers as General Howard. We could have lived forever at peace with him. If there is any pure, honest white man in the United States Army, that man is General Howard. All the Indians respect him, and even to this day frequently talk of the happy times when General Howard was in command of our post. After he went away, he placed an agent at Apache Pass, who issued to us from the government clothing, rations, and supplies, as General Howard directed. When beef was issued to the Indians, I got twelve steers for my tribe, and Cochise got twelve steers for his tribe, Rations were issued about once a month, but if we ran out, we only had to ask, and we were supplied. Now, as prisoners of war in this reservation, we do not get such good rations. Out on the prairie, away from Apache Pass, a man kept a store and saloon. Sometime after General Howard went away, a band of outlawed Indians killed this man and took away many of the supplies from his store. On the very next day after this, some Indians at the post were drunk on Tiswin, which they had made from corn. They fought among themselves, and four of them were killed. There had been quarrels and feuds among them for some time, and after this trouble we deemed it impossible to keep the different bands together in peace. Therefore we separated, each leader taking his own band. Some of them went to San Carlos, and some to Old Mexico, but I took my tribe back to Hot Springs and rejoined Victoria's band. Chapter 16. In Prison and on the Warpath Soon after we arrived in New Mexico, two companies of scouts were sent from San Carlos. When they came to Hot Springs, they sent word for me and Victoria to come to town. The messengers did not say what they wanted with us, but as they seemed friendly, we thought they wanted a council and rode in to meet the officers. As soon as we arrived in town, soldiers met us, disarmed us, and took us both to headquarters, where we were tried by court-martial. They asked us only a few questions, and then Victoria was released and I was sentenced to the guardhouse. Scouts conducted me to the guardhouse and put me in chains. When I asked them why they did this, they said it was because I had left Apache Pass. I do not think I ever belonged to those soldiers at Apache Pass, or that I should have asked them where I might go. 
our bands could no longer live in peace together, and so we had quietly withdrawn, expecting to live with Victoria's band, where we thought we would not be molested. They also sentenced seven other Apaches to chains in the guardhouse. I do not know why this was done, for these Indians had simply followed me from Apache Pass to Hot Springs. If it was wrong, and I do not think it was wrong, for us to go to Hot Springs, I alone was to blame. They asked the soldiers in charge why they were imprisoned and chained, but received no answer. I was kept a prisoner for four months, during which time I was transferred to San Carlos. Then I think I had another trial, although I was not present. In fact, I do not know that I had another trial, but I was told that I had, and at any rate I was released. After this we had no more trouble with the soldiers, but I never felt at ease any longer at the post. We were allowed to live above San Carlos at a place now called Geronimo. A man whom the Indians called Nick Goley was agent at this place. All went well here for a period of two years, but we were not satisfied. In the summer of 1883, a rumor was current that the officers were again planning to imprison our leaders. This rumor served to revive the memories of all our past wrongs, the massacre in the tent at Apache Pass, the fate of Mangus, Colorado, and my own unjust imprisonment, which might easily have been death to me. Just at this time we were told that the officers wanted us to come up the river, above Geronimo, to a fort, Fort Thomas, to hold a council with them. We did not believe that any good could come of this conference, or that there was any need of it, so we held a council ourselves, and, fearing treachery, decided to leave the reservation. We thought it more manly to die on the warpath than to be killed in prison. There were in all about 250 Indians, chiefly the Badonkahe and Netnai Apaches, led by myself and Ho. We went through Apache Pass, and just west of there had a fight with the United States troops. In this battle, we killed three soldiers and lost none. We went on toward Old Mexico, but on the second day after this, United States soldiers overtook us about three o'clock in the afternoon, and we fought until dark. The ground where we were attacked was very rough, which was to our advantage, for the troops were compelled to dismount in order to fight us. I do not know how many soldiers we killed, but we lost only one warrior and three children. We had plenty of guns and ammunition at this time. Many of the guns and much ammunition we had accumulated while living in the reservation, and the remainder we had obtained from the White Mountain Apaches when we left the reservation. Troops did not follow us any longer, so we went south almost to Casa Grande and camped in the Sierra de Sahuaripa Mountains. We ranged in the mountains of Old Mexico for about a year, then returned to San Carlos, taking with us a herd of cattle and horses. Soon after we arrived at San Carlos, the officer in charge, General Crook, took the horses and cattle away from us. I told him that these were not white men's cattle, but belonged to us, for we had taken them from the Mexicans during our wars. 
I also told him that we did not intend to kill these animals, but that we wished to keep them and raise stock on our range. He would not listen to me, but took the stock. I went up near Fort Apache, and General Crook ordered officers, soldiers, and scouts to see that I was arrested. If I offered resistance, they were instructed to kill me. This information was brought to me by the Indians. When I learned of this proposed action, I left for Old Mexico, and about four hundred Indians went with me. They were the Badankahe, Chiconan, and Netnai Apaches. At this time, Ho was dead, and Naichi was the only chief with me. We went south into Sonora and camped in the mountains. Troops followed us, but did not attack us until we were camped in the mountains west of Casa Grande. Here we were attacked by government Indian scouts. One boy was killed, and nearly all of our women and children were captured. After this battle, we went south of Casa Grande and made a camp, but within a few days this camp was attacked by Mexican soldiers. We skirmished with them all day, killing a few Mexicans, but sustaining no loss ourselves. That night we went east into the foothills of the Sierra Madre Mountains and made another camp. Mexican troops trailed us, and after a few days attacked our camp again. This time the Mexicans had a very large army, and we avoided a general engagement. It is senseless to fight when you cannot hope to win. That night we held a council of war. Our scouts had reported bands of United States and Mexican troops at many points in the mountains. We estimated that about 2,000 soldiers were ranging these mountains, seeking to capture us. General Crook had come down into Mexico with the United States troops. They were camped in the Sierra de Atunes Mountains. Scouts told me that General Crook wished to see me, and I went to his camp. When I arrived, General Crook said to me, Why did you leave the reservation? I said, You told me that I might live in the reservation the same as white people lived. One year I raised a crop of corn and gathered and stored it and the next year I put in a crop of oats, and when the crop was almost ready to harvest, you told your soldiers to put me in prison, and if I resisted, to kill me. If I had been let alone, I would now have been in good circumstances, but instead of that, you and the Mexicans are hunting me with soldiers. He said, I never gave any such orders. The troops at Fort Apache, who spread this report, knew that it was untrue. Then I agreed to go back with him to San Carlos. It was hard for me to believe him at that time. Now I know that what he said was untrue, and I firmly believe that he did issue the orders for me to be put in prison, or to be killed in case I offered resistance. Chapter 17 The Final Struggle we started with all our tribe to go with General Crook back to the United States, but I feared treachery and decided to remain in Mexico. We were not under any guard at this time. The United States troops marched in front and the Indians followed, and when we became suspicious, we turned back. I do not know how far the United States Army went after myself and some warriors turned back before we were missed and I do not care. I have suffered much from such unjust orders as those of General Crook. 
such acts have caused much distress to my people. I think that General Crook's death was sent by the Almighty as a punishment for the many evil deeds he committed. Soon General Miles was made commander of all the western posts, and troops trailed us continually. They were led by Captain Lawton, who had good scouts. The Mexican soldiers also became more active and more numerous. We had skirmishes almost every day, and so we finally decided to break up into small bands. With six men and four women, I made for the range of mountains near Hot Springs, New Mexico. We passed many cattle ranches, but had no trouble with the cowboys. We killed cattle to eat whenever we were in need of food, but we frequently suffered greatly for water. At one time we had no water for two days and nights, and our horses almost died from thirst. We ranged in the mountains of New Mexico for some time. Then, thinking that perhaps the troops had left Mexico, we returned. On our return through old Mexico, we attacked every Mexican found, even if for no other reason than to kill. We believed they had asked the United States troops to come down to Mexico to fight us. South of Casa Grande, near a place called by the Indians Gosoda, there was a road leading out from the town. There was much freighting carried on by the Mexicans over this road. Where the road ran through a mountain pass, we stayed in hiding, and whenever Mexican freighters passed, we killed them, took what supplies we wanted, and destroyed the remainder. We were reckless of our lives, because we felt that every man's hand was against us. If we returned to the reservation, we would be put in prison and killed. If we stayed in Mexico, they would continue to send soldiers to fight us. So we gave no quarter to anyone, and asked no favors. End of section 6